Hello and welcome to the Paleo Baby Podcast. As usual, I am Julie Kelly and today I'm excited. I am joined by my sister-in-law, Cara Champany. Hi, Cara. Hi, thanks for having me on. <laughs> of course. So Cara and I wanted to do this podcast because we have both been through kind of the ringer in figuring out what to feed our babies. And Cara has a daughter, Maisie who just turned one in June, and she just started walking. So yay, Maisie. Um, and I've got Ivy, of course, who's going to be three, gasp, in um, just a matter of a couple months. Cara is also paleo, and you can talk about this, but you've had your own health issues that were kind of helped by changing your diet. Isn't that right? Yes, definitely. I, I thought I was doing the right thing, much like everyone else, for most of my life, eating low fat and gluten. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I just discovered, you know, I, I had no idea that I, I knew about GI things that might happen when you eat, you know, to some people that eat gluten. And but for me, it was like skin and headaches. And so I won't go into all of that. But when I, you know, had Maisie, I knew I wanted to start her off in the right way and, and not sort of fall into, def, you know, my trap, you know, in case it was a family thing. And I think it probably is a family thing, knowing what I know about us all just wanted to start her off and go with the whole, if she's never had it, she'll never miss it theory. Right. Yeah. And because you, you had a lot of the same problems, like your brother, Christopher, my husband, a lot of the same gut issues that, you know, we were pretty convinced now are, are familial, but you you don't just have Maisie, you have your older son, Wills, who was raised on a non, you know, paleo style diet with all the same, same kind of issues that you, that you had. So you've kind of seen both sides of the coin in terms of, of raising kids. Yeah, um, that's right. And and I've always really enjoyed cooking. And I've, I, you know, especially when William was little, I quite, I sort of relished making all these family meals and pureeing and put them in ice cubes and freezing them. And I, I actually really enjoyed that part of it. I know some people don't. And I was very proud that William had never had a jar, you know, but, yeah. and so I thought I was doing the right thing. And, and, you know, thinking I'm not going to beat myself up about it. It was it was one of the better things to be doing at the time. But what I didn't realize was he had gut issues from quite early. And we'd been to a number of doctors and, and never really got to the bottom of what was going on. And, and then um, as Chris found out, he was having you know, issues and what started to help him with his dietary changes, we then you know, made a dietary change, and, which is really tough with a 10-year-old. But he somewhat sticks to it. I'm certainly at home. He's got no choice. And I've seen much improvement with him, which just confirmed my choice that with Maisie, I just wouldn't even start out. You know, I would just do a different tact. Right. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's generally, I mean, that's that's, that's huge. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have this conversation with you and, and for everyone listening is, you know, what we what we really want to present is just this idea um, that you can create an environment for your babies when you're ready to wean and when you're when they're ready to start eating solid foods, I think there's a lot of um, kind of misinformation and just a lot of very old information and wisdom that's passed on from generation to generation. And, and even amongst your peers, like as women, I think you look to see what other people are doing when it's time to give your baby solid food. And, and if you see that everybody is giving them cereal to start with, some kind of rice cereal or some kind of, of cereal grain to start with, and then also putting them onto dairy, cow's milk, and then also some of the other jarred food and, and what have you, you start to feel like maybe that's what they should have. And I think it's important to just know what the other options are out there. 
I read a lot about baby led weaning. I read a lot about holistic health and paleo communities, tried to look for what other people were doing in that circle. And I really just ended up doing what I thought would work best for our family. And and just like you brought up, Cara, I think first and foremost, the best idea was to not have exposure to things that we ultimately didn't really want her to have a palate for. So that would be not exposure to very sweet things, not exposure to obviously grains, and then focusing more on just really nutrient-dense food. And just like you mentioned about doing all the purees, I was really excited about that at first, but then I, I just had this like nagging feeling that it shouldn't be special. <laughs> Babies shouldn't have special food because they should just eat what we eat. Like if we want them to turn into conscious eaters and people who will eat what's put in front of them, they should eat what we're eating from the beginning. Because if you start off giving them different things, then what's going to, when will you be able to make the change to eating what we're eating? I think it figures with, you know, paleo. When you think about the whole paleo movement, what you're looking at is what we used to eat a long time ago. It just stands to reason that, I mean, maybe not even in the Paleolithic era, but years ago, were there stick blenders and ice cube trays? You know, no. <laughs> this, this whole thing just doesn't have to be as hard as people. It's one of those things that is, is people have tried to solve a problem that probably wasn't there in the first place, I think. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And I think whenever I take a step back and I look at any problem I'm facing from an evolutionary standpoint, I would say that probably nine times out of 10, it's a problem of my own creation. It's a problem that doesn't even really exist. And, and your brother, Christopher, is really good at pointing this out when I'm making, you know, <laughs> a mountain out of I'm a molehill. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's like, well, why, why does it even matter? And I'm like, you're right. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. <laughs> but the information out there, this is what's difficult. And I think it's a confidence thing also, when, mm. especially when you have a first child, it's so hard to take a stand from the norm. You know, I have a lot of friends, I'm friends with a lot of people that have babies of the same age. And I do really understand and sympathize that, you know, to go against your pediatrician or your family or your friends is a really hard thing. And I'm lucky, you know, you're lucky because you have Chris and he's, you know, on the same page as you. I'm slightly different. I'm just lucky that I'm a total bully and I get what I want in the family because, right. <laughs> you know, if, if it had been down to maybe my husband, then he would have gone with the norm too, because he has no idea. You know, he, he wouldn't have looked out of the box, but luckily he just trusts me and goes along with what I say. For somebody who's looking at this from a sort of, you know, if you're listening to this podcast and you're pregnant, or you've got a really, you know, a newborn, I get it. It's, it's really difficult, but like you said, it's, it's not, it shouldn't be that complicated, you no. know. They're just babies. They're yeah. not disabled in any way. They're just, no food is going to be harmful, particularly as long as it's real food and it's not a choking hazard or some other dangerous viewpoint. But, you know, this shouldn't be quite as complicated as we, as it's become, I think. Yeah, no, exactly. I think even within the paleosphere, I can see it getting complicated. You know, I, I see people having these very strict lists of and, you know, and this is one of the reasons why I kind of shied away from, you know, the Nourishing Traditions book, which is part of the Weston A. Price Foundation. They're definitely something that I recommend people look to in terms of ideas for first foods for baby. I think they do a really good job because it's very nutrient dense and it's, you know, it's created from an ancestral perspective. But 
I didn't necessarily agree with the order in which they introduce things. And I didn't, I wasn't as strict about the order in which I introduce things with Ivy. And, and also with like baby lid weaning, there's some people who have very strict ideas about what babies should have, even if you're approaching it from an ancestral health perspective of, you know, not weaning onto grains and dairy, you're weaning onto, to, to, you know, to real foods and, and whole foods and more things like protein, like eggs and, and meat and, you know, seafood and, and vegetables. So, you know, I think it's important to be conscious of that is that you know you don't want to just train trade one dogma for another dogma and that's right but to me your baby has been having exposure to all different kinds of food in your pregnancy so why suddenly would an egg be harmful mm-hmm I agree. I totally agree. And I think you have to trust your instincts too a little bit, which can be really difficult to do as a new mom because we're not raised in tribes anymore. We're not raised around big villages of, of people. You know, we don't have a lot of women to look to for, for guidance or just, you know, how it, how it was always done. We're, we're very isolated in, in how we raise our children now and even just how we live our lives. So to have that confidence, that innate confidence that you're doing the right thing can be very challenging, like you said, for a new mom. But I, I felt pretty lucky in that I had, you know, pretty solid understanding of what I was doing. And so I think I could more easily trust my instincts with Ivy. And I, just, and I waited, you know, a year after you had Ivy right. to have mine so that then I could just copy you. <laughs> It all worked out out perfect. But yeah, I think finding that confidence is really important. And I think the way that you go about doing that, and you know, I think, you know, I watched you do this as well, like just read as much as you can understand as much as you can ask a lot of questions. But at the end of the day, you have to do, you know, what's right for you and your family. And I and I think that that is typically following your right your gut instinct, right? Because at first, I was like going to follow the Weston A. Price, the nursing traditions thing to a T, but it was just way too regimented. And it still wasn't aligned with kind of how we were eating. And so at the end of the day, I just went with my gut. And that was to give Ivy a little bit of what she was interested in, and make sure that it was just it was from my plate. It was from what we were already eating. And I just kind of let her be my guide. So the only rule that I really followed was to wait until she was sitting upright on her own and kind of reaching and able to grab and and pick up food herself with her hand and bring it to her mouth. That's not to say I didn't feed her because I definitely did, which already clashes with the baby led weaning philosophy. But I, I always use my hand. I didn't use a spoon because when I started using a spoon, it just didn't feel right. It just felt like something that wouldn't have happened in the past. We wouldn't have used a spoon. We would have used our hands. So it was a lot of just kind of feeling it out and seeing, okay, what's she interested in? What's she reaching for? And then, you know, giving her little taste, whether that meant I was kind of mashing it up with my fingers a little bit and, and letting her have it or suck on something, but also letting her use her gums to, to mash things herself, because I think we underestimate how how well they can actually masticate with their gums, with even without any teeth clearly you want to be sure that they're not going to choke on it. But I think that that's another part of it, right? It's like waiting until they're ready, waiting until they're sitting upright, waiting until they're not just cognitively, they're not going to put something in their mouth and just choke on it. I was so excited for that six months. You just think it's never going to come. And with William, I'd started early. I'd done the classic thing that most people do. They say, oh, what you need to do is feed them rice cereal to make them sleep through the night. And I had done that with William and he'd enjoyed it. You know, he'd eaten it, no problems. He appeared to enjoy it. I knew I wasn't going to do that with Maisie. And I knew, you know, I'm a nurse, so I breastfeed her. I still do. So she'd been just purely breastfed. It was kind of a long wait because I was excited to get into the food. And she was one of those kids that just wasn't, you know, six months came around and I was like, oh, you know, I'm going to do it like a little six month, you know, just jokingly a birthday, you know, six month birthday little 
bit of food and she just wasn't really ready. She was sitting up, but I think what I'm saying is that, you know, don't worry too much about those guidelines. I think it's more about them showing the interest than it is about their actual, you know, physical ability to sit up because, and I've even heard, you know, I've listened to a few podcasts and read some information. I've heard about kids not being ready till like eight mm-hmm. months. Oh, even a and year. that's fine. Yeah, if, if I think. They're, if they're yeah. getting their nutrition from somewhere else and they're putting on weight and they're, you know, healthy in themselves. Obviously, if they're, if, you know, they're malnourished on milk, then, you know, you're going to have to seek help. But if they're, if they're doing well, as Maisie was, I learned to kind of leave it at that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, in some cases, wish I had, you know, she... I think she was interested, but I, I'm still not totally convinced she was truly interested in the food as she was just the textures and feeling things and playing with whatever we were eating. In some ways, I wish I had waited even longer. But yeah, she wasn't, Ivy wasn't, I think, fully, truly eating, eating food until she was probably more like eight to 10 months old. But yeah, there's definitely room for that. And I think I've, I get that question a lot is, you know, my baby is six months old or even four months old. And my pediatrician is saying I should start them on cereal. What's your best advice on which type of cereal? And I'm like, I don't have advice on which type of cereal, because I don't think that that's the best food to start with. And I also don't think that they're probably ready at four months old. I mean, if if you have to like, prop them up in a bumbo chair or some other kind of chair, and you have to manually feed them with a spoon and, and introduce it to them, like to me, that's just a big red flag. Like they are not ready. And yeah, I was never going to do that again. I, I just, I, I'd seen enough to just think this is not, this is not how I want to do things. And also, you know, I knew I wasn't going to do rice cereal. I wasn't going to do the grain thing, but it's also very sweet. Yeah. You know, what they give them to start off with is very sweet on the palate. And obviously breast milk is sweet. Mm-hmm. So I knew I wanted to introduce different flavors than sweet early on. Yeah. Things I did with William, you know, like fruit puree with rice cereal or porridge. And it's all very sweet. And I'm lucky with William that he actually developed a really good palate. And he's actually awesome. You know, never mm-hmm. been a fussy eater. But I've seen it go the other way as well. So Definitely. And I think you just, it's like you've got this window of opportunity. And why get them on the sugar train early? <laughs> you know, like, why don't we put this off as long as possible? I mean, we all see what kids are like after they've had, you know, had sugar. And it's very difficult to come back from that once once it started. So yeah, I, I did the same thing. I avoided fruit with Ivy until she was probably close to two, actually, before she started having more fruit. And I never did purees. So when I say fruit, I mean like whole fruit, like pieces of fruit. And it was still, it wasn't things like banana. We started with things like with berries and different types of, like lots of variety. That's the other thing. It's it's not getting stuck in, oh, this is kid food, right? So they always have bananas because they're soft or they always have applesauce because it's soft or, you know, so making sure that you're, you're, you're still introducing variety, even though maybe they don't have a full set of teeth or anything like that, you know, finding ways that they can eat it. And for Ivy, it was always something that she could hold. She loved to hold things and just kind of gnaw on them. Even if it was like a whole carrot, she would just hold it and gnaw on it. And that was, you know, still introducing the flavor and she never was, she didn't have teeth, so she wasn't able to get it off. But that was, you know, that was one of her favorite things to do was hold just a carrot and kind of gnaw on it. Um, her other favorite thing was like holding, I'd make lamb chops or we'd go somewhere and we'd have lamb chops and she would have like, just hold, like to hold the bone and she would just kind of gnaw on it and try to get little pieces of meat off. 
you know, not being afraid to try things. If you're going to be, if you're being vigilant and you're really listening and you're paying attention to what your child is ready for, what they're interested in, that is probably key. If you're going to go, go forth with confidence that they don't have to start eating as early as is recommended. Clearly, if they're well-nourished and you're still breastfeeding or they're still, you know, even if you're bottle feeding and they're, they're well-fed, they don't have to start eating as early as was recommended. Because I know when I was going rampaging around podcasts trying to find baby-led weaning podcasts, you know, the one thing I really wanted to hear about more than anything was the gagging versus choking mm. situation. Yeah. Because the one thing that hit our family was that Blaze, my husband, is just petrified of anything happening to her. So as soon as she'd start kind of getting a piece of food in her mouth, he's on it, you know, she's choking, she's choking. So I just wanted to address this because it only becomes clear a couple of months into doing it and then you you get it, they're working it out. And that, that is to say that it's part of the natural progression of a child putting something solid in their mouth. What happens is as the food makes its way to the back of the tongue, they gag it forwards. Mm -hmm. So Normally that involves some noise and it sounds a little bit menacing, right. but actually it's just a natural thing. They'll gag the food forward so it comes back forward into their mouth so that they don't choke on it. And there's a really big difference between gagging and choking. Choking is when something's stuck in the windpipe and they're, they're, they're normally silent at that point. Right. And obviously then you have a problem. And that's when you would take them out of their seat, bend them over, fiercely pat them on the back to get, you know, to release it. This became really apparent when we were doing it that Maisie got really good at gagging food forward. And the main thing is to try and keep calm because I never wanted to sort of panic her to put her off this whole baby led weaning thing. And I can honestly say that I was fairly good about it. My husband was a nightmare. And it is hard. It's hard to watch a child learn in that way, but it is actually a really important thing. And, I, and now I'm so glad we did that because like you say, she actually, Maisie was quite late with teeth and she could chew with those gums yeah. like none other. I mean, really, they, you know, the notion that you'd have to give them purees until they get teeth is is just not true. I mean, I don't know if you've ever put your finger in Ivy's mouth mm -hmm. before she had teeth, but oh, those, yeah. those <laughs> kids scarf. can bite, <laughs> yeah. you know? So it's, they, they really can do a lot before they have teeth. And the, and the gagging thing is, is really natural and it's something that you should let them do. I must admit, it's really hard not to stick your fingers in the mouth and take whatever it is out. And I, I'm not going to lie. I've done that several times when I've thought that it, you know, I just couldn't help myself. Right. But I know that's something. And again, that's one of the baby-led weaning rules. But I think you've got to do what you feel comfortable with. But you've got to be very careful that you don't push that food further down their throat. Yes, that is very true. Yeah, because that's, that's, I think that's the immediate reaction is to kind of scoop it out with your finger. But you can easily you know, interfere in a way that causes more harm than good than that by doing that. But yeah, you have to you have to feel it out. You have to feel feel what's right for you. And I think that's huge. I mean, and, and I think we see that with, you know, almost every rule in the whole process. It's like there's a point where either it's going to work for you, or it's not going to work for you. But the whole idea here is to truly understand that there's another way and that there's you know, opening your mind up to kind of being confident in, in trusting your instincts and doing what you think is right. You know, I've had lots of people say to me, this is what I've been told to do, but it just doesn't feel right. I just don't think she's ready. I don't think I want to start her on this food. If we want her to be, you know, be paleo and eat like we do, or just, just eat a whole food diet like we do, why would we start her on this type of food? And at what point would we change? And it just doesn't feel right. And so I think 
I think a lot of people have these instincts, but they don't listen to them because of what everybody else is saying. And so I think it's important to, for us, you know, for, in having this conversation is just pointing out to all of you that are listening, how we navigated the waters as we kind of moved through this kind of weaning process. And, and one of the, the big things that I think one of the main reasons we wanted to have this, this podcast and talk about it was talking about you asked me, Cara, about the meat. And I told you how I used to chew the meat for Ivy. And this is my favorite subject. I know it's mine too. And it totally grosses people out, but When I start, first started feeding Ivy, it was clear to me that one of her favorite flavors was the meat. And that was what she was most interested in. She was, she really loved lamb. She really loved, like, even in just sucking on it, like if it was on the bone. And I had read about mastication, like pre-mastication, which is, you know, pre-chewing food while I was pregnant. And I just told Chris, I was like, absolutely not. I will not do that. It is so disgusting. (laughs) But then I'm sitting there with Ivy and I'm just thinking, you know what? She really wants this. It's clear to me that she's interested in it. She's watching me as I eat it. Like she's like hoping upon hope that like she's going to get some. And so I did and it just felt natural. Like I just... It was right after I decided that I didn't want to use the spoon anymore and I kind of got rid of all of her baby spoons. I had a little bit of meat in my mouth and I just took a little piece out that I'd already chewed and I gave it to her and she was like, her eyes like almost rolled back in her head. She was so happy. (laughs) You know, it was just chewed enough that when, that she could finish the job with her gums and eat it confidently. And then that's kind of really when we dove into eating, eating food for her. And I think she was probably about, mm, probably about eight months old nine months old when when we really kind of did that full swing. I think I'd done it a few times before, but when she really got the hang of it and it was like kind of part of meal time. And everybody's like, oh my God, that sounds horrible. Like you have to do it for every single meal. And I definitely didn't. I think I did it probably only at dinner time. I mean, the rest of the time she was eating like things like sardines that were really soft. Also the US wellness meats that we eat a lot of. So like the liverwurst and the Braunschweiger, even just plain liver is great as a first food because it's so soft. And it's got, you know, tons of nutrients. So even if they only eat a little bit of it, it's like very, very nutrient dense. But the pre-mastication, going back to that, the pre-chewing is so, it makes so much sense and lines up so well with this evolutionary because it, not only are you, you know, they getting this protein, but they're also getting some of your enzymes. So when you chew your food, you are, are you releasing enzymes in your mouth to help you break down that food. And One of the things that we know is that when you're not eating something or you've never eaten something, your body doesn't produce the enzymes to break it down. So for babies, they don't have these enzymes to break meat down because they've never eaten meat before. By pre-chewing things, you're giving them some of your enzymes to to break this meat down. So it's actually going to help them in the digestion process and you know, kind of make it a little bit easier for them to digest some of these things that they've never eaten before because you're sharing your enzymes with them to do that job. So it's kind of this really interesting symbiotic kind of um, helpful relationship that you're you're helping them kind of, you know, digest and eat their first foods as well as making it easier for them to eat them. Yeah, I totally agree. And pre-chewing was like, if you asked me to name like my top five things to do with child rearing, pre-chewing would be like, if not number one, it would be number two or three. Something that nobody, I'd never even considered the concept, you know, unlike you, I hadn't heard, you know, I hadn't read anything about it. I just literally said to you, like, what do I do with the meat sort of thing? And you mentioned about pre-chewing and I, it didn't honestly disgust me at the time. I wasn't like, oh, that's gross. I just thought, okay, well, um, and I think it conjures up when you say pre-chewing, it conjures up some like nasty regurgitated. Yeah, no. 
It kind of, <laughs> it's not like that. You're not really kind of chewing it to a point of like mush. With me, it was like, I mean, and again, I, same with Ivy. I mean, they're obviously from the same family. They love meat. I mean, Maisie's a meat baby too. Uh, straight away, she wanted to eat meat. And I would just put a little bit in my mouth and even sometimes just using my front teeth rather than like grinding up, I would just sort of nibble it a little bit. And, and like you say, some of your enzymes, your saliva goes on it. She just did great with that. And so much so, it used to make me laugh because she would, and even now she looks at me when I put my hands near my mouth, <laughs> she thinks I'm going to give her something <laughs> because she's 14 months old, but there are still foods that she's only got her front teeth. She's got one molar at the back now and she's, she's cutting the, another one now. And so even now I'll do it certainly with steak, bacon. She's horrible with bacon. Oh, she, yeah. can't, she always chokes on bacon, but she loves the taste of it. So again, I will pre-chew bacon still now and give it to her. But yeah, she was like, we were just this, it reminded me a lot of the mama bird, mm -hmm. you know, and little baby bird scenario. Exactly. And yeah. it felt so natural to me as well. It just, and it really revolutionized feeding her for me because when you, you know, I remember doing things like, oh, I would be so conventional with William. I'd have like, you know, some pork chops or something and I would meticulously cut the pork off and put them with some potato and some, you know, vegetables and in goes the stick blender and the meat just kind of, there's no texture to it. Obviously, even, even as they get older, you don't puree it as much, but it's not like eating proper meat. And that does make me think now, I, I know so many kids that have grown up that just are averse to me eating meat. And I'm sure this plays part of it because it's kind of an alien concept. If you start with rice cereal and you're into yogurts and purees, it, it stands to reason that they put some lump of something that needs chewing in your mouth, you, you're going to be a bit, mm -hmm. you know, put off by it. So I've, I've really been impressed with the meat. And I, I, I think it's a great way. And, and honestly, it's really not gross. I found it absolutely natural. That was what really kind of did it for me was, was just how natural and normal it felt and appropriate. And it just worked really well. It just clicked. Everything just kind of was like the heavens opened up and it all just made sense. And I think for me, you know, one of the things about eating a whole food diet, especially if you're eating because you have specific health needs. So if you're, if you're somebody that has to follow autoimmune protocol and you have a baby and then all of a sudden you've got to follow autoimmune protocol and you have this baby and you're thinking, oh my God, now I've got, you know, this other person to feed. And, and I think you have to just take a deep breath and take a step back and say, okay, you don't have to feel overwhelmed. You don't have to, because that's how I felt when I was pregnant. Because, you know, when, when Chris was mentioning all of these things about what we should feed our baby, and he mentioned the pre-chewing thing, and I was just like, I wanted to throw my hands up in the air because I was like, all I could think of was, oh, great, more time in the kitchen, right? Like more time and energy that I have to put into thinking about what these people, what people are going to eat, which was at the time, it was really difficult because Chris was still really sick and he was still working through his functional medicine protocol. And, you know, we were still really strict AIP at that point. I just, I couldn't imagine it because I had, I had to spend so much time in the kitchen preparing food. And obviously like over time, I, you know, I just, I developed lots of good habits. And what ultimately I figured out was simplifying and cooking really simple dishes and not getting overwhelmed with recipes and meal planning and just really simplifying and just eating, you know, cutting it down to a very simple template, protein, and fat and and vegetables like that was it that was what I cooked on a daily basis I knew what I was going to have as long as I had protein and fat and vegetables I was good I could make dinner right 
And so yeah, there's no way, there's no way for me. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to say now that I didn't enjoy doing all that pureed stuff with women because I did, yeah. you know, I, it was so, and then, you know, the other thing is you, I had this whole like worry in my mind, like, cause at the time I would eat things, process things like gravy and, you know, things that had added salt in. And I'd have to think, oh, right, well, I have to separate, you know, William's stuff. Even though he was eating the same food as us, I would have to separate it because maybe we would have a gravy or a sauce that had too much, you know, and I was constantly thinking, but when you have real food, you don't need to worry about that. You know, vegetables fine, meat's fine. And the other thing I've done a lot of is just, you know, I use a bit of pink salt. I, I put herbs on everything. I even spices. I've never sort of not given her something because I've thought, oh no, you know, that's going to be too flavorsome for her or that herb will be too strong or that spice will be too much. And I've really not had a problem. You know, I don't, I know all children aren't the same. And, and, you know, for some people that might be, you know, that might not work for them, but I think they do need a range of flavors and just, just go with it. Don't think, oh, that's not for children or that, you know, unless there's some some reason, you know, some, you know, some type of food that's going to be dangerous for them, then I, I would just go with it, with everything really, apart from obviously too sweet. That's the one thing to watch out for. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's, that's really important. I think, I think that the message of simplifying what you're doing, you know, should, you know, make you breathe a sigh of relief because the way that I think, you know, you and I kind of went about this, I think it made life so much easier because it's, you, you don't have to think about a special meal a separate meal that you have to prepare for this person or snacks or anything like that like everything that you are consuming yourself is something that should be good for your baby and of course we're talking about you know if you're eating a whole food diet free of of processed foods and things like that not you know weaning your baby onto to doritos and mcdonald's that's not what we're talking about <laughs> it's not quite as simple as what's good for the goose is good for the gander it is as simple as you know eat whole food and eat lots of vegetables eat a variety of things looking for the most nutrient dense foods possible really listening to your instincts and keeping it simple so it, it should make your life easier not harder and i think one of the other things that i found really frustrating is that you're just bombarded with stuff when you're a parent or a new parent, you know, all the things you think you're supposed to buy, all the things you're supposed to have, all these fancy gadgets, all these special baby things. I just loathe that whole culture. And I feel like, you know, the food part is also part of that because there's all kinds of these special baby food making gadgets and all these special things that can hold baby food and keep it cold or, you know, I mean, so they perfectly. can suck food through mesh, that kind of thing. Yeah, that thing. <laughs> um, and I think if you just take a step back for a second before you make any decisions about what you want to feed your baby with, like just ask yourself if it's going to make your life easier or harder because you're going to have to wash that little mesh thing. You know, how fun is that going to be? Like, you're going to. I have thought that little <laughs> mesh thing was brilliant until I put banana in it and avocado. Oh, yeah. And no. then it was. Then I never used it again. I, I've actually got some unopened ones right here that never even saw the light of day because, yeah, honestly, they're really hard to clean. Yeah, I mean, so I get the lure and I get that, you know, some of this stuff seems like it's going to make your life easier. But if you follow it all the way through the process, you know, and, and I think a lot of the times you'll you'll get to the end and you'll be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be responsible for cleaning this thing and keeping track of it. Like, so just try to declutter your your feeding process as much as possible. And that's one of the beauties, I think, of 
of breastfeeding that's often not talked about is just its convenience. There's no bottles to sterilize. There's no making a special arrangement so that you can get to a fridge or, you know, <laughs> heat up milk or, or anything like that. And clearly we all have different struggles with breastfeeding, but that's something that people don't think about a lot is just, you know, when you keep it simple, you're you're saving yourself time and energy. You're not, you know, try to avoid those things for, for other reasons, you know, other than just that they're usually expensive, the fancy gadgets and whatnot, they're expensive. They're also create another time suck for your life, right? Like that's that's more time you have to spend in the kitchen cleaning some weird gadget that you never needed in the first place. I think if you walked into my house, bar the toys, you wouldn't actually know from my kitchen that I had kids, to be honest. We don't have any, you know, I, I've had a couple of sippy cups, but she's hated every single one of them. I've tried a few. And then really now I only use them as a convenient thing that doesn't spill to carry water in. And now actually, since visiting you, I got the clean canteen, mm -hmm. little kid thing. And now I, so, so now I don't even have, you know, cause they don't spill. That's the yeah. only good reason in my book for having, you know, and, and obviously the clean canteen is great cause it's better for the environment anyway. Right. So Aside from that, we have very little in the way of gadgetry. The other thing I was going to say about, which actually comes to the um, paleo thing as well for adults too, is with William, I was so regimented. You know, like they get up at seven in the morning and then you must feed them breakfast and then they must have a snack. And then, you know, you must have lunch at 12 and then another snack at, you know, whenever. And then I've been so much more relaxed with Maisie. And I, I know it's, you know, certainly because of the nature of the food that we feed her, she has a lot more fat than I probably would have ever given William. But it just means that you don't have to be so rigid about feeding. You know, I, I see I see other people and they're having sort of, you know, puffed rice snacks or, you know, rice cakes or whatever, or, you know, whatever it is. And it, I do do snacks, but it's generally fruit or meat because that's basically what my baby survives on, I've got to say. You know, and I, I think I've been a lot less regimented. You know, I'm not getting up in the morning and doing Cheerios at seven o'clock, thank goodness, anymore. Yeah. You know, by the time I, you know, we get up, she's actually quite a late riser anyway. And then I fill her up with bacon and eggs and pan-fried vegetables. And by the time she's eating that at nine or 10 o'clock, then you don't, I, I'm not so rigid about lunch. So it's just been a lot less stressful, I've found, to do mm -hmm. it this way. Yeah, definitely. And, and that's, I think, you know, the more... I, the older Ivy gets and the more we have, you know, more of a routine and a schedule that we have to follow. I think that's been the hardest part is because, you know, for the first, you know, basically two years of her life, I was very relaxed about, you know, eating because she's a bit quite a bit like she's kind of fallen into my pattern of eating, which is more like two meals, two real big meals a day with occasional snack, like in between or before a meal. Yeah. And that's been really normal for our family. And I think, you know, eating a lot of fat and, you know, having larger meals that kind of really count as a meal has been really good. But I've just been really careful to pay attention to her cues and kids know when they're hungry. And I definitely have met people that are like, oh, no, my kid will, you know, go on a hunger strike and not eat and blah, 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 blah. And I have to, you know, every it's such a chore. And I think that's another beautiful thing about starting them off on this this way is that if they have a, a good relationship with food, meaning they, you know, they, they eat well, they don't really, you know, throw a fit about what they're eating, because they already eat really nutrient dense things. You know, it's, it's like this, it's a self fulfilling process. Like if you start them off well, and they have, you know, a stable blood sugar, they've got sustained energy, they, you know, they're not having they're not on this like constant roller coaster, like sugar roller coaster. You're not starting them off on that foot of having all of these demons that they have to overcome in order to get them to eat well. 
then you're really helping yourself out because yeah, it does. It creates a lot less of a stressful situation. So I learned very early that Ivy would have, she had like a four day cycle of how she went with her food. She'd have one day of eating a ton of food. She'd eat both meals voraciously and then she would eat her snack voraciously. She would actually ask for food and tell me that she was hungry. The next day she would eat when food was presented to her at both meals and she would probably eat a little bit of her snack. And then the third day she would eat almost nothing. She would eat a couple of bites of the meal. She would eat, you know, she probably wouldn't eat the snack at all. And she just generally wasn't interested. And then come the fourth day, she was back to the top. So it was more like a three-day cycle. But it went in that that way. And I could almost put it on the calendar. Like, oh, Ivy's just probably not going to eat anything today. And that's just how she was. And that's still kind of how she is. But it's it's predictable if you're paying attention. And I think a lot of kids have these cycles. And I think it's important to not force feed kids when they're not hungry. And I think it's important, you know, as somebody who works with with adults who I have to basically coach back to a place where they recognize how food makes them feel because they've they're so detached from that instinct and that understanding i can't tell you how important it is to make sure that children understand and grow up understanding how food makes them feel how food makes their bodies operate how food how how they are connected to food and what it does for them and what it doesn't do for them because if they don't have that understanding, it's going to take them 40 years or 30 years to get to a place where they understand that their diet impacts the way that they feel and ways that they, the energy that they have and their ability to be who they want to be and do the things they want to do. And so that's been one of my bigger goals with Ivy is just giving her the tools and the, you know, the vocabulary and the understanding <laughs> to understand and to work with her diet and what she's eating and, and how it makes her feel. And she'll say things like, I don't want to eat that. Like it, it, it doesn't make me feel good or, you know, that makes my tummy hurt. I don't like that. So it goes a long way in now that I've, she's old enough to where I can kind of look from beginning to, to toddlerhood and into to childhood. She's got a different perspective and different relationship with food than some of her peers that I've seen her interact with. So that's really important to me. And I think that that's another outcome that I probably couldn't have predicted or couldn't have, I didn't, I didn't necessarily set out for, but I'm really happy that she has because I want her to have that ability to say, you know, I'm not hungry right now. I don't feel like I need to eat. And also to say, hey, I'm, I'm really grumpy. I'm, I'm, I'm just not feeling good. I think I need to eat something. That's what I want her to be able to do is to to put that stuff into words. Yeah, it's really difficult. None of that is really addressed anymore, I don't think. And having, you know, my oldest son is uh, 12, going nearly 13 now. And, uh, you know, he's grown up with, and, and obviously I had, I had a part to play in it. You know, I used to eat food I shouldn't eat, ice cream, pizza, all that stuff, you know. And you see how people get emotional with food, you know, very emotional attachment which is now what William has. And uh, it's much harder for him to break that. So what I'm saying is it's, it's like discipline. You know, if you let your kid run riot until they're five years old and then say, oh, honey, actually, I don't really want you to behave like that. That's really hard on them. You know, it's, that's not their fault. They've just been brought up in a certain way. And now it's going to be really hard to change that mindset. And it's the same with food. It starts with food, right? Yeah, it does. I think so. I think it starts with food, but it doesn't end with food. And I think you can get more out of this than just, you know, a healthy diet, right? Like I like I was just kind of explaining, like I want more for her than just to have, be well-nourished. Like I want, you know, because being well-nourished, I think just sets the stage for all of the other parts, all of the other parts of development. And 
you know, I just want her to have every opportunity she has to do the things that she wants to do in life and be the person she wants to be in life. And could she eat a crap diet and, and maybe turn out to be the same? Possibly, but I, I highly doubt it. Having worked with all the people that we've worked with now, and I've seen, you know, what, what happens when you, you live your life thinking that diet doesn't influence the end result. And, you know, eventually you get to a point where you realize that if you want to continue and have a good, you know, second half of your life, you need to take a step back and fix the foundation, which is the nutrition, and then, you know, fix the health. And then you get to move forward into having the life that you really want to have. Because if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. I think it's really important to say that try not to, I was going to say don't, but try not to project your own wants, you know, as if you're not a paleo eater yourself, I'm guessing a lot of people that listen to this podcast will be, but you know, if you have your attachments and your things, you know, I see a lot of people saying like, oh, but pizza's really nice. And I I feel like I'd be neglecting them if I didn't let them have pizza or ice cream or, you know, what, you know, fill in the gap. And I really think it's important to know your kid's never going to know. They're never going to care. And don't worry about that children's party that you're now feeling emotional about that they're going to go to when they're eight and they're going to have cake and ice cream. Your kid will be fine. You don't need to worry about this when they're weaning. No. things that People say to me, well, what are you going to do when she goes to a birthday party? I'm just not going to worry about that right now. But that does, that's not a good reason to feed her cake and ice cream. No. It's not. And it's also not a good reason to make a decision about whatever else she eats, right? Like. I get that all the time. That's the number one thing I get asked. Well, what do you do about birthday parties? I'm like, well, first of all, we don't go to birthday parties. But second of all, <laughs> birthday parties are a recipe for disaster, if you ask ask my opinion. But but no, I mean, it's just, even if we were, you're exactly right. Like, it's just not something that I need to worry about right now. But am I going to completely say, oh, well, yeah, if she's going to go to a birthday party when she's eight, then yeah, screw it. Throw it all out the window. Like, <laughs> cake and ice cream every day a pizza every day because eventually she's going to go to a birthday party and that's going to ruin everything I'm not going to make my life decisions about what my family eats based on birthday parties but no I mean I think you're exactly right like food is nourishment food is fuel I mean that's how we talk about food food is you know it can be delicious it can be great we can really enjoy it but my biggest I feel like sometimes my biggest accomplishment is when you know, and she says this regularly, so it's great. But when I eat something and she goes, oh, mommy, that's really good. How did you make it? That to me is just like music to my ears. I try to talk about food in, in those terms and not as like, I also try really hard, which is really, really difficult is to not use treats as a tool <laughs> to <laughs> for bribery, which is really, really difficult because it is, it's almost impossible to not have some kind of a, a treat, something that they really enjoy. But we've tried to keep treats to things like even like certain types of fruit she thinks are like a treat because we don't get them all the time. You know, but there's other opportunities. Like when she goes to my mom's house, there's more like gluten-free products and packaged things that we don't buy, but she has those periodically. But I've, you know, also trying to teach her how to separate things and like a treat isn't something that makes us grow, isn't something that gives us energy, isn't something that is fuel. A treat is just a treat. It's it's just something you eat because you enjoy it. You enjoy the flavor of it. We definitely do that too. And, you know, with William, it's really difficult not to have gluten-free treats in the house because if I didn't, he'd go out and eat something stupid. Yeah. So I'd rather he ate something and it was gluten-free and okay, it's, it's still gluten-free junk food but it's not going to make him really sick. Right, exactly. So that that one is a tough one for me. And I, But you know, the other thing is I just try not to overstress this. You know, bringing up kids is stressful. 
You've got so many things you've got to think of. You've got with their sleep and behavior and teeth and all the other things you have being thrown at you. If they have something and it's not exactly ideal or nutrient dense or, and I've even had the situation, which thankfully my in-laws don't listen to this podcast. I'm sure they don't, but (laughs) they fed her ice cream, Mm. you know, and I was really upset about it, but I didn't, you know, it's like, okay, she had it once, move on. Because I, I don't even give her dairy. Yeah. And I specifically said, do not give her, because everyone else was having ice cream. I said, don't give her ice cream. And I know they thought, well, she wanted it because she pointed at it, you know. Yeah. Uh, but you've got to move on from those things. Don't let them stress you out. Don't let them yeah. hold you back. Don't, don't make them influence you going forward, you know. The, these sure. things happen. You know, you're going to eat out. You're going to be in places where it's going to be difficult. You're going to go on holiday and vacation, I should say, and things are going to be trickier than they are when you're at home. And I just try and move on from those things unless they're going to make her really sick. I mean, I'd be pretty mad if somebody fed her a sandwich or something, Mm -hmm. you know, gluten. But if it's okay, so she had a spoonful of ice cream. Okay, just move on. You're not going to have that in your house. It's not going to be something that is going to exist in your everyday life and, and just try and move forward with it don't say oh well she's had it now so we might as well just give it to yeah her. just might as well yeah exactly <laughs> nothing like, bad no. happened yeah I think that that's really important because like you know your brother is is not very good at that because you know even since before she was born he's been worrying about the birthday parties and the yeah. exposure at my mom's house and things like that and and I think it almost does a detriment in a different way you know like if you you know it's just like anything like if you tell a child not to do something like what's the likelihood that they're going to not want to do it more you know (laughs) yeah exactly so I think I think trying not to just make a big deal out of things like I try my first line approach is you know we don't you know she asks about something or what somebody's eating I tell her what it is I say you know we don't eat that and she'll usually say why I mean she's asked why since she was you know that was like one of her first words and so you know (laughs) we have we have the conversation and she generally understands you know why she can't have something when it becomes really difficult now that she's, you know, a toddler and talks and understands and has a really great big vocabulary is that, you know, for her in those situations, sometimes it's, it's just the, the access to it. And the, you know, it's right there, the, uh, you know, the, her willpower to not want to try something is often not as great as, you know, obviously, as an adult. So, just arming them with the knowledge that, you know, what they should avoid and what they, you know, they can have, but they shouldn't eat too much of and just trying not to make a huge deal out of it. Because I, you know, Ivy is the type of person that if I tell her, I don't want you to have something the second my back is turned, you know what she's going to be going for. So if I make a big deal out of it, it's it's just shooting myself in the foot. So the other thing I'm like really heartwarmed about, about eating this way and why it's really important is the fact that I didn't give William nutritionally a very good start now, you know, looking back and, and I don't, I try not to blame myself for that. You know, it was how ha- I thought I was doing the right thing at the time and that's fine. You know, everyone make you know, everyone makes mistakes in the way that, you know, and even Chris and I joke, you know, we were joking about something on Facebook the other day where he, we were talking about eating bread, you know, the, the hot the time hop on Facebook and you think, Oh my gosh, really? You know, but that, that's the way it was. But now I just know that Maisie's going to have such a rock star immune system Mm. and digestion that if she does eat something and she does go to that birthday party, she's going to deal with it. And it's not going to spike her insulin and she's going to, you know, she's going to be better able to deal with it. So I think you've got to know that making the right choices early on when they don't know, when they don't know about the cakes and the ice creams and the pizzas, 
is such a good choice either way. Even if they go all out and end up eating their, like my son will probably do for the, the rebellion of, you know, me making him not eat gluten and dairy since he was 10. Yeah. You know, he'll probably go all out, but I'm hoping the good work I've done and, and the healing he's done is going to better enable him to cope and uh, to know the better side of it as well when he's older. And so I think it's always worth doing, you know, it's, it's really worth doing the whole food thing when they're young and uh, getting their palates used to a lot of flavor and, and a lot of textures really young. I really think it sets them up for a better early start, you know? Oh, yeah. I think that's huge. I mean, and that's, that's ultimately what we do. I mean, even when an adult comes to us and, and they need some, you know, significant healing and we do all the testing and we figure out what they need to do and, they, you know, I put them on a really healing diet. The goal of that is to heal so that they can be resilient again, so we can restore their ability to be more resilient so that they're not falling apart every time they get stressed out at work or they're not falling apart every time, you know, they have to travel and they can't eat 100% perfectly. You know, that's right. that's the goal. And I think when you start feeding your kids really well to begin with, then you are just setting them up for just a much easier time of navigating the waters as they as they grow and as they turn into adults and they start to make these choices when you can't be there to control everything they put in their mouth. And that's ultimately like what I want for her and for Ivy and you know, and Maisie and, and all of the, the, you know, people with raising kids that are listening to this is I want them to be able to go out into the world and just truly understand that, you know, what they eat matters. And no, you don't have to be perfect all the time. But, you know, you need to pay attention to what you're putting in your body if you want your body to be able to perform well for you, whether that's, you know, in athletics or just getting up early so you can work really hard and study really well and you want your brain to function really well. Like we just need to give them the tools and the foundation for that to be as likely as possible. So that's that's what I really want people to to take away is that we want the the strongest part start possible. Yeah. Just just to know there's another way and just to feel confident that, you know, not everything your pediatrician says has has to happen, you know. Yeah. And with Don't that do- Yeah. And and with that though, I think I think it's important we should give people some some actionable things or some things to actually consider. So when you were you know doing all of this, did, what, did you have any resources that you found really helpful, just in terms of kind of giving you ideas and and that helped you kind of, of move forward and kind of get started on this or just feel more confident? Yeah, I read uh, there's a baby lead uh, baby led weaning book, uh, the essential guide to introducing solid foods. I've got it in front of me, so just don't think I remembered this off by heart. It's it's by Jill Rapley and Tracy Muckett and Maquette, perhaps. <laughs> mm-hmm. I pronounced her name wrong there, but I found it somewhat uh, useful. I also listened to the Real Food Mamas podca- oh, yeah. podcast, as well as yours as well. You know, you were a really good resource for me. I think just being in the paleo world it is just a really good resource. I obviously listen to my brother's podcast a lot. And uh, Tommy Woods, you know, he's he's t- spoken a lot about children and I've read his stuff and, but yeah, I, I, I've just, just taken a, a, a sensible approach to it, avoided the sort of the actual baby food, you know, stuff that's marketed for babies. I've honestly just avoided it really. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and just gone with whatever's on my plate, as long as that's suitable for her. I've taken some guidelines, like, you know, I started off not giving her egg whites as much as giving her egg yolk and, you know, things like that. I did take, you know, and I wouldn't obviously give her nuts very early on. And uh, still to this day, she hasn't had dairy. I'm not saying we, I'm a hundred percent, especially when you eat out, I'm sure dairy has, has come into her diet. And I, and I, and actually I will give her a little bit of dark chocolate, which she really likes. I have adhered to some guidelines in terms of 
when they should eat certain foods. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, just listening to the paleo world, I guess, has really been my and and to yourself has really been my resource. That's awesome. Yeah, I think that that's really good. I think. And then um, just in more of a, like a practical thing, I, I'll, I'll list them as well, but just kind of, can you give us just kind of like a list of some of the things that you started her off on or what are some of your, her favorite things to eat, her favorite meals? Well, I, I obviously, I went for avocado first as like a very first food. And this is one thing I was going to say to you, this is almost, I want to say like created a monster for us because now she won't eat anything that's remotely mushy. Mm. So she likes chewable food. So I started off even early on, you know, she'll eat a little bit, she doesn't mind a bit of guacamole, but funny enough, she won't really eat avocado on its own, but if it's guacamole and it's got cilantro and, you know, Mm -hmm. stuff in it and it's, it's kind of spicy and flavorful, she'll eat it. Mm -hmm. I guess I did a bit of squashes, you know, squashes and, and yams and things like that, but I always made sure I put a lot of butter or bone broth, soak them in broth first. But honestly, she loves meat. And I found a jerky that was like a, it's like a homemade jerky uh, from a guy locally. And it's quite, it was quite soft. And again, she couldn't really chew on it, but it wasn't like a traditional jerky. You actually had to keep it in the fridge. It wasn't, you know, you couldn't just keep it out of the refrigerator. And that was an absolute love of hers to start off with. And she's also crazy about fruit. Very, and I, and I worry about that a little bit because she, she would eat fruit or, I mean, she's unstoppable. Yeah with fruit. And I worry about that a little bit, or I try and stick to the berries. You know, she likes some orange, some citrus fruits, but I try and, you know, just, I like, I love bananas. Such a pain. They're so sugary, but so we have a little bit, you know, and I try not to let them ripen too much. So they're not super, super oversweet. Yeah. So yeah, she's really not into anything. Even when I have offered her things like I made plantain pancakes, you know, Chris Cresser's got a great recipe for plantain pancakes, which are delicious. And I made them the other day and she's just not, She's just not into anything starchy. Yeah, you know? Ivy wasn't either. The hard it was, and now she's definitely like developed, uh, you know, because she sees other. She's had enough of it now that she's like found she likes it. But generally, like she'll only eat a little bit of it. Like she doesn't like a lot of it. But originally, it was just not a texture that she wanted. Like even if you know she got a hold of like something, like if somebody around her was eating something that was like gluten free bread or gluten free cookie or whatever, she just would spit it out. She didn't like the texture in her mouth she's clearly developed a a taste for that stuff now but but even still like even if you know she had full range like even like at birthdays and stuff when there's like a gluten-free cake she'll she'll eat a couple bites of it but she you know or she'll eat her little tiny piece that she gets but she's not coming back for more because it's too sweet and she doesn't like the texture that much she loves the idea of it but then she doesn't like how it makes her feel. I think I can see it happen. Like she, she she takes a couple bite and then she looks at me kind of cross-eyed and she just kind of leaves it where it was. Cause it's like too much sugar, or too sweet or something. So that's another thing. It's like, you know, releasing the reins a bit so that they have their own ability to kind of feel it out, um, is important. But yeah, I mean, when Ivy started, I think, um, I, I was, I steamed, I got, cause I would make um, root vegetables and like winter squashes and things like that. So I would cook those with either some zucchini or something in some broth. So this was when I was feeding her, but wasn't like a meal time for us. So I didn't necessarily have a plate um, I or I wasn't eating or I was just making a lunch for Chris or something. So I just make some extra for Ivy. And so she would sometimes just have like you know, slightly steamed or cooked in broth vegetables, the U.S. wellness meats, so like the liverwurst and the Braunschweiger, which are very soft, kind of pre-cooked sausages, 
that um, have lots of organ meat in. So they're, they're really nutritious and it's a great first food for babies. Like I can't recommend that highly enough. And the head cheese, those were her absolute favorite. She had those a lot. Sardines, the sardines with bones in. So the bones are really soft, so it's not a problem, but she loved that. Yeah, when, then when we would have dinner, it would just be kind of like pre-chewed meat. So pork and lamb and whatever else. I often would cook liver for her and she really likes it. She still likes liver. She likes it more than I do. I'm not a huge fan of it, but she'll have three helpings of liver when I make it. She really, really likes it. So I should probably make it more than I do. Yeah, I think I think those are all really good things. Avocado clearly is something that is a is a favorite for sure. Well, I forgot to mention that husband is a hunter here as well. Mm, so she's practically it. grown up on venison. Yeah. That's, and we have most of it ground and she absolutely loves that. And I've got a really good source of salmon here as well. Oh, that's good. So salmon and venison is basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> salmon. She loves, Ivy loves salmon too. That's been another big one for us. And fish in general, she, she generally really likes. So, and these are all things, I mean, now like her favorite thing, her favorite meal of the day is lunch. And for some reason we, we can't figure out why that is, but. If you tell her that you're eating lunch, then she'll generally eat it. Um, so, she, but she loves like her favorite thing. Chris usually has this for lunch too. It's um, just a bowl with some salad greens, a can of sardines because she can eat a whole can of sardines on her own, some capers and some red pepper and some sauerkraut, a little bit of mustard or a little bit of apple cider vinegar, some olive oil, salt, and seaweed. Like those seaweed snacks, kind of um, broken up into the bowl. And oh, I just basically loves those too. And, and I just chop it all up and I give her a spoon and she will eat that whole thing. So that's like a whole can of sardines, which is probably enough protein for her for the day. And then, you know, it's got lots of fat. It's got, you know, really strong flavors. And, you know, it's because I I know without a doubt, it's because she's had those flavors. She's had those textures since she was, you know, weaning that she enjoys them still to this day. So I'm really grateful for that. And I just hope that everybody has a chance to experience, you know, watching, I think watching little kids eat really well is one of the greatest joys in the world. Like it just gives me... It really is. It really is. And I'm always proud to take William out to a restaurant. I know he's 12, but Mm -hmm. I see a lot of kids, you know, I actually work in a restaurant once a week and I see kids and and even adults, I have to say, I do live in Wisconsin. So, you know, much love to Wisconsin, but we don't have the finest food here, people. But you've made it work. And that's really... That's, that's well, incredible. yeah, you have to be careful. Shopping around here is kind of difficult. I don't have a Whole Foods. I, you know, it's, yeah. access to good food around here is really hard. We we have a summer uh, a summer farmers market, but in the winter, of course, it's you know we're feet in snow, so it's really hard, especially in the winter, to get anything. Yeah, and and, and like I say, I see even in restaurants, I see kids eating you know chicken tenders and French fries and all that stuff, and I'm really proud to have kids that that will eat a vast amount of food and. And actually, I've always thought it's, it, I'm, I don't know whether this is a bit snobby to say, but I always think that having a good palate and knowing, you know, good food and a, eating a variety of food is actually quite, makes you more socially, you know, available, I think. I, that's what I always think. You know, if William got invited out to a nice dinner or, you know, he wouldn't be the guy sat there going, I don't suppose you could do chicken tenders, could you, you know? And I do, I do think that's a bonus as well. No, definitely. I think that that's, that's like hugely important is that, Ability, it just gives you like kind of way more access to go places and do do things and and see things. Yeah, for sure. Well, this has been wonderful. I think, you know, we could clearly talk for hours about lots of different things. So we'll have to have you back on and we'll pick another topic and and do that uh, another show about raising our our babies and navigating these waters. (laughs) I think think it's helpful to have the practical advice from moms that are out there doing it. So 
If you like this show and you want Car and I to chat about some other things that um, we figured out along the way, let us know and shoot us a question and we can answer those questions going forward. Thanks so much for being with me, Car. Okay, thank you. Have a great day. You too.